Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded, a podcast all about creating visibility, paths for growth, and opportunity for entrepreneurs. We focus on those entrepreneurs who are statistically underrepresented in the startup ecosystem. Your hosts are Zena Island, president of X Plus PR, a media relations agency, angel investor Aurelia Flores, managing member of Athena Digital Media Group, a digital marketing agency, and angel investor Christina Francis, president of Esteem Logic, an information technology consulting and training firm. In each episode, you will meet a new startup founder, hear about their company and where they are now. We then focus on one key challenge facing that entrepreneur, a challenge that is common among startups. Each episode also features a guest expert to weigh in on the challenge. Welcome to Get Found, Get Funded. Welcome to another episode of Get Found, Get Funded. Today we are talking about diversity as an investment strategy and our optimism in the changing landscape of venture capital and angel investing. On previous shows, we mentioned and discussed statistics related to venture capital and minority founders. In 2017, female founders received just 2.2% of the $85 billion invested by venture capitalists. According to data published earlier this year, that percentage is even less for women of color who earn less than 1% of the total funding each year on average, as Fortune has previously reported. That was just last year. So why are we so optimistic? Well, recently, Arlen Hamilton, founder and managing partner of Backstage Capital, a venture capital firm that invests specifically in underrepresented founders, recently announced that her firm will invest $36 million toward black women. That's $1 million at a time. In a recent article, Arlen expressed the following. It is my firm belief that because black women have had to make do with far less for centuries, equipping them with early stage capital that is on par with their white male counterparts has the potential to lead to outsized returns. We agree with you, Arlen. Has Arlen set the stage and expectation for what's next in the venture capital space for black women founders? Or maybe this is a call to action for other VCs. Joining us in the discussion today is Ebony Pope, Director of U.S. Ventures at Village Capital. Ebony oversees Village Capital's work in finding and supporting U.S. startups in the five sectors that receive investment from Village Capital Investments, agriculture, education, energy, financial services, and health. Before her promotion, Ebony managed Village Capital's Education United States 2016 Venture Development Program. She graduated with her MBA from the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business in 2015, focusing on strategy and entrepreneurship. While at Ross, she traveled to Tanzania, where she developed and taught a business curriculum for agriculture technology entrepreneurs as an enterprise consultant for Lando Lakes. Additionally, she was Education Circle Director for the Social Venture Fund. Prior to Ross, Ebony worked at New Urban Learning, a charter education management company focused on preparing Detroit students to successfully graduate from four-year universities and colleges. Before her work in education, she lived in the Bay Area, where she was an account strategist for online sales at Google. Ebony holds a BBA in finance from Howard University. Ebony, thanks so much for being here with us on the show today. Of course. Thanks for having me. Ebony, we are so glad to have you, and we are really excited to discuss this topic with you. Um, Christina just gave us some really interesting VC stats, which I'll give you another one in just a minute, but let's also compare the angel world, right? So in the angel world, women angels represent just over 25, just under 26% of the angel 
of angels in 2017, and minority angel investors accounted for 3.5% of angel population. And those particular statistics did not give us um, data on women of color, which would be really interesting, right? But Ebony, for you, we're thrilled to get your insight on this, particularly because you're in the VC space, a world where only 9% of VCs are women and 90% are white men. So how did you get involved in this? Yeah, I think for me, so I've always wanted to be Oprah with other people's money. <laughs> um, and I thought that would be a career in philanthropy. Um, went to Howard, majored in finance. Um, got a job at Google. Nobody turns down Google. So <laughs> worked there for a little while. Um, and moved back to Detroit because I wanted to get nonprofit management experience. Um, working in the organization that you kind of listed in my bio. Mm -hmm wasn't until I went back to business school that I even learned about venture capital. I took a career test before going to school. They make you take a test. And I got like 94% for venture capital and like 92% for entrepreneurship. Um, and my brother was in business school at Columbia Business School at the time. And so I reached out to him and was like, hey, what's venture capital? Like, it says I should be a venture capitalist. Like, what is that? How do I get an internship in that? And he was like, oh, nobody gets those internships. <laughs> <laughs> so, but luckily at Michigan, there are three student-run venture capital firms. Um, and I ended up helping on the social venture fund. My background in education and technology allowed me to um, lead our ed tech investments for the fund. Um, we would make two, I believe it was $50,000 investments a year in the two companies. And we we did all the due diligence. I took all the valuation classes and things like that. Um, and I thought it was a great way to marry my passions um, for giving away other people's money, <laughs> um, but in a much more sustainable way to grow businesses as opposed to philanthropy. Um, so that, along with the work that I did in Tanzania, building business curriculums um, for agriculture farmers out there, when I found about, out about Village Capital, I was like, wow, this is a great marry of my experiences in both venture capital as well as supporting and incubating um, businesses at early stage. So I want to jump in for one second, but first of all, I have to do a shout out. <laughs> you know I'm going to do it. <laughs> I have to. My Detroit sister yes. in the room in Michigan. Go blue. Go blue. So I, I had to say this, but I do have a question about Michigan. Now you were in at University of Michigan School of Ross, right? Yes. Their business school for graduate school. Yes. Just correct. to clarify. And you became a part of a venture fund, am I correct? Yes. And U of M? Yes. How did that happen, and do other schools do this? Um, other schools have started doing it. And so Michigan, Ross has like the longest standing um, impact investing fund. Mm -hmm. um, and so from the Entrepreneur Institute, they gave, like a, a donor gave us $5 million to kind of play around with. Um, for the fund wow. and so there are a lot of other schools that have funds that do like due diligence but don't necessarily have the capital some do have the capital mm -hmm. um, but we were lucky to actually be able to make actual investments and do capacity building and due diligence um, which was a great experience and probably the only way that I would have been able to get into venture capital after school wow that's exciting I also want to just underline what you said about venture capital being giving away other people's money in a way that is sustainable, 
right? So for people who've been listening to us, we make the distinction between angel and VC investments. Angels give away their own money or Mm -hmm. hopefully not give it away. They're investing it, right? But but sometimes it feels like giving it away. (laughs) And and VCs then invest other people's money. um, That, But in a very specific way with very specific directives. And you also mentioned that the fund that you were involved with at University of Michigan was an impact investing fund. So that's also relevant to some of your experience right now. And I, I think it's great that you were able to find a job at Village Capital that married everything that you love. A lot of people are looking for that and yeah. just can't find it. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about what Village Capital is doing around uh, impact investments, specifically for underrepresented founders? Sure. So Village Capital, we're really focused on democratizing entrepreneurship. And so we're looking for um, undervalued opportunities that are um, in all parts of the world, because what we invest in is education, healthcare, agriculture, energy, and financial technology, which are really large challenges. And so we want to find um, founders and companies that are like solving these problems. So we have to go to these areas that are actually like experiencing these problems around the world. And so um, 75% of venture capital goes to Silicon Valley, Boston, and New York. Um, over 80% of our investments are outside of those three areas. We also have more than 40% of our investment are in women founders, um, and more than 25% are in minority founders here in the United States. So we host these investment programs um, in entrepreneurial hubs around the country, and we bring in mentors and investors and the companies um, to really help to we like build communities around these founders as they're um, growing their early stage businesses. I have a quick question. Um, you mentioned the, is 25% are women founders that you invest in. Do you no, know? More than 40%. More than 40% are women founders. So what, do you know the number out of that for uh, women of color or African American? Um, I don't know for, I know for black and brown founders it's over 25%. I don't right. know the breakdown of like how many of those are women of color okay. versus men, but. Mm-hmm. But it's it's higher than um, industry averages. Oh yeah, yeah. industry averages are like <laughs> less than one yeah. percent. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, we can always be doing better, um, and so and that's like my focus is trying to make sure that we're seeing everyone. Right. I mean, we want to choose the companies that have the highest potential, but mm-hmm. you only can do that if you're able to see all the companies. So it's about volume and getting out there and really connecting with the entrepreneurs and the founders. Right, and making sure they know about like the opportunities mm-hmm. and, and different funding resources that they could potentially have. Well, that's why uh, Arlen's new fund is a game changer. So, and in what ways do you believe this will change the landscape? And what do you believe are the potential outcomes? Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. Honestly, I'm so proud. Um, that and humble that she's you know been able to accomplish this um, and she's been grinding for a while um, so it's just great to see but I think there are so many women founders that don't even have the opportunity to um, like build you know build on the potential that they have for their businesses because they're blacked out um, of these social circles of being able to raise um, funding so especially her investing like a million dollars at the time at, at a time into these founders, um, it's going to give them the runway to be able to 
just, I don't know, just completely changed the game. And so I'm really excited to see like what, what comes out of this. And, you know, as these women succeed, because we know that they will, yeah. Yeah, they, <laughs> they have the grit, they have the experience um, and, you know, the expertise to do so, like how this is going to open doors once she starts really getting some returns for other investors to really start to give us the look that mm-hmm. they should have been giving us all along. Ebony, let me ask a question. You just mentioned a little bit ago that part of what you guys are doing at Vilcap is trying to get the word out there about what you can do, how you can support people. How are you getting that message out? And then what do you think this news will do about to help you guys do more of what you want to do as well? Yeah, so um, a program that I've started, I actually launched it here in D.C. back in the fall. You ladies know because you mm-hmm. helped me with it. <laughs> um, called Village Capital Pathways. Um, and it basically is to connect with founders that are a little earlier than what we typically invest in. So companies that have some kind of minimum viable product, maybe they're doing some pilots but are still pre-revenue and they're thinking about finding funding. Um, Because what I encounter is a lot of entrepreneurs that have been building businesses for a few years, and they come and ask for funding. But then as I talk to them and I look into their business models, I'm like, this isn't even a venture capital business model. You know, like, I wish I would have met you a few years ago. (laughs) I could have put you on the right track to the kind of funding that you should be getting, or at least showed you the path of what it looks like to build a venture capital-backed business. And then you could make the decision if you're going to take that path or build a lifestyle business and pass it down to your family. And so Village Capital Pathways is really just to bring together entrepreneurs in a particular city, um, diverse entrepreneurs, um, women and minority entrepreneurs, and to help to give them a framework of what it looks like to build a venture-backed company, like what are the milestones that you need to hit at each stage of funding, as well as connecting them with resources and investors and angel investors in their city um, so they can have that social capital and start to build relationships as they're growing their businesses. And how do you let people know about those programs? Are you kind of just doing a lot of publicity and and are you kind of um, accessing, you know, networks in the city or through nonprofits or how are you letting people know about what you're doing? Yeah, well, like Village Capital, like all of our programs traditionally are pretty national and we know we're not an expert in every place. And so what I do is find like entrepreneur support organizations and people that are supporting these entrepreneurs already in these different cities and um, reach out to them and um, have them help to not only find the companies in their city, but also figure out the best ways to support them um, through the program. Yeah, because I think our entrepreneurs would also be interested, like, how do I find out about programs like the Village Capital Program that you've been working on? Yeah, and I feel like now, like, I have a lot of entrepreneurs reaching out, like, well, what's next? How can Mm -hmm. I be a part of? And I'm like, I'm figuring it out. (laughs) (laughs) How we can do it again. Um, But hopefully, I mean, right now, after D.C., we've since partnered with UBS and have expanded to... Um, Chicago, Atlanta, and Philadelphia, the Rockefeller Foundation and the Weisberg Foundation completely supported what we did here in D.C. Um, so hoping we can get some more support so we can <laughs> continue to do it. Since Arlen's announcement, there are many black female founders seeking VC funding who are ready to pitch to Backstage Capital. Let's talk a, uh, a minute about the due diligence process. 
Ken, you talk about Village Caps, um, venture investment readiness and awareness levels process. Why is this important for Cap to develop? Sure. So I can just tell you guys in general, like how we invest in companies is pretty unique. Um, so we have a peer investment model. So what we do is we bring together 10 to 12 entrepreneurs in a certain sector that's solving a very specific issue. So I'll give you an example. Um, for education, right now, it's bridging the skills gap between education and employment. And so we bring these companies together for three, four-day workshops that are in different cities. We teach them how to think like investors and um, through this viral curriculum. Um, and they rank, they evaluate each other. They poke holes in each other's business models, rank and evaluate each other. And at the end, the top two ranked companies um, get a seed investment from us. That's usually seventy-five to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and we do that do it that way to take a lot of the bias that goes out of the decision-making process traditionally of how people get um, venture capital money. Um, but from that, we've realized that the framework that we've put together, the viral framework, um, is just great for that other investors and entrepreneurs are using as a common language. Um, because a lot of entrepreneurs will go into investor meetings and they're, they'll hear, oh, no, it's not a good fit, or you're too early, without the specifics of knowing like what that means. Um, so a lot of entrepreneurs that we showed this this viral framework, like now they're taking it, it into their investor meetings, like, hey, like I understand that I'm at a level three and that you know I need some work on my team, I need a good technical founder, or I need some work on my value proposition or, or different things with very specifics of what they need to work on. Um, and allowing the investors on the same side to, to evaluate their businesses that way so they can understand, even if and they can better understand once they leave that meeting, okay, that was a no, but now I understand like what I need to work on, the traction that I need to prove, and I can come back to this investor in six months and say, hey, mm -hmm. I have those, those um, customers now, or I have that technical founder, maybe we can talk again. Well, so Ebony, you've trained, mentored, and helped position a lot of early stage companies for investment, and particularly through this viral model, right? How can entrepreneurs and small businesses use either peer due diligence or the viral model or anything else to help prepare for investor meetings? Um, yeah, well, like at the end of this, I can share my information. I'm happy to share like the viral <laughs> with anyone. I, we're in the process of like building it out um, as a formal product. And so eventually, like as an entrepreneur, you will be able to log on to a site, answer a series of questions, and it will let you know at what stage you're at. Um, and also, like, what are the things that you need to do to get to the next level? Or even potentially, like, who are the investors in your city mm -hmm. that invest at your specific level? That's our dream for it. <coughs> so we'll see. So I think Aurelia and I helped out um, initially on some of that. And since you've launched that um, process and the, um, the paperwork on that, we've shared it with a lot of, I know I've shared it with a lot of um, an entrepreneurs. I think it's a, an awesome resource. And the point on understanding the ecosystem, so understanding one, where you fit in, in your city, and then who is actually available. Um, I know with GoNanny and others, we've actually used that. And it really does help the entrepreneurs start thinking a little bit differently about where they are. And it helps them to articulate that better to potential investors, whether it's angel and or VC. Um, yeah, it's just really important for them to be able to um, to know like what investors are evaluating them on. 
because like being an entrepreneur is like such a hard journey it's you know very thankless they're working like 24 hours a day but you want to make sure that you're working and if if you're building this kind of business you want to make sure that you're using the most productive use of your time you know because like no one is arguing that you're not working hard but Mm -hmm. like if you're talking to an investor you need to know like what they're looking for um so Ebony, you re- recently wrote an article around VC and the bias in the VC culture. Can you talk a little bit about what founders can expect and how can they build their relationship with VCs to help uh, bridge that gap between the bias and what they can actually bring to the table? Yeah, well, just speaking on the bias, like I think just in general, like people invest in what they know. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of like the pattern matching and things that happen is just like, investors seeing like something that worked and they're like okay well let me just try that again um and sometimes can be like weary on taking risks so like when i wrote that article it was more just to bring attention to like the blatant bias that can happen um because like we can talk about the unconscious bias but people can kind of push that aside like oh maybe that's in their head maybe it's not really happening but i think like just to even start the conversation around such a blatant bias Mm -hmm. Um, was good just so people, um, even more traditional venture capitalists that might not even be as aware of it could see like, wow, like this is really, really a problem. Yeah. So Ebony, can you take a minute just to tell us uh, what prompted you to write the article just so our listeners understand where this is coming from? Sure. Um, I know so many founders that are building great businesses, like they have great tractions, they've gone to the schools, but they hit a wall, like when they're trying to get funding. Um, And so, and a lot of times in the VC industry, we talk about unconscious bias, um, but I thought it was really important to talk about like blatant bias that's happening, like to give people a tangible example so that they know that this is a real problem. Um, So I guess just for some background, um, someone tweeted at our, my CEO, Ross Baird, Um, about an African-American male founder that was supposed to be getting um, funding from his startup from a VC, and last minute they backed out and kind of sent a screenshot of the reason that they backed out. And he basically said, like, you see the demographic of founders that give us the best return are white men in their late 20s, early 30s. You can expect the choice of management team who we invest in to reflect that. And so what what nerve like I thought that was like really wild I mean I I know it's first you know it kind of is undertones like we talk about it like this stuff happening um but I thought this was just great just to get the conversation out and Mm -hmm. um for um black and brown founders and um investors but as well as more mainstream investors to be able to um understand like um what's going on I think it's important too in this realm that we understand that there were a lot of assumptions made in that statement, right? So it's one thing to say, oh, well, this is where we find success if in fact you have tried success here and here and here, right? right? But if you haven't tried success in all of those places, like we just said that we gave some numbers, right? That uh, nearly 90% of investment money goes to folks who are founders or have somebody on their founder team that is white and male and meeting those demographic standards, then you can't actually say you're testing 
in a in an unbiased background right, right? and that's why so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah and and what I think is also interesting is you could I mean by that logic you could also say white male founders with that demographic also fail the most often yeah right yeah um so I think it's I think it's important that we kind of put on our thinking caps and think about it kind of and not get wrapped up in the logic but really think about it from a from an haha unbiased perspective right and yeah and and the question is like what did those founders that have been successful like what stage were their businesses at like what milestones did they reach you know when you invested in them what were those patterns the tangibles that no matter someone's age or their demographics that they can you know they can reach you know, like let's keep it, let's keep it to the numbers and you know what the traction and what makes a company successful, instead of focusing on things that don't affect like how a business um, succeeds or not. Well, and I think the the flip side of that is also true, right? I mean, while I like all of us are really excited about the um, about the announcement that Arlen came mm-hmm. out with, right? I think we're all excited about that. I think we need to be careful not to put on those founders that they can't fail right oh yeah I I mean I think I think that's really important because part of being a founder part of being an entrepreneur we know most people fail the first time out this is a really really tough place if you are in the world of venture-backed businesses or venture-backable businesses it is a very risky place to be I mean that's why some of the you know returns on investment are so high and so forth and so Mm -hmm. We don't want to then turn around and say to black women founders or other women of color or women in general or any other underrepresented founders, you have to do better, right? I mean, now we all know we have to do better, (laughs) but I mean, I think it's unfair then as somebody, and I've said this multiple times on the show, I am so data-driven, right? I am a really data-driven person. Give me the numbers. I want to see the numbers. I want to see how all those work. So we really want to be looking at those in a fair way. And, you know, if a woman of color fails okay it was her first try let's take a look it doesn't mean give her the opportunity to fail though oh for sure and a lot of that is that they feel a lot of the founders and i think uh arlen said this on a podcast once i was listening to that you know the bar is raised higher for her as an investor and investing in you know um underrepresented founders and at the same time those founders feel that that bar is raised higher for them compared to you know the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world, for lack of a better word. but Well, that's because, like, think about it. I'm a white male investor, and I invest in another, you know, young Mark Zuckerberg-looking guy. He mm-hmm. fails. Okay, that happens all the time. I invest in a black woman founder, and my peers are like, oh, why is she doing that? Mm-hmm. She's going to fail. And then she fails, and they're like, see? Told you so. We knew she was going to. You know? Right. And so... It's, it's unnecessary pressure. <laughs> That's not fair. That's it, it is, but you know, the beauty, and, and this is what I love that what you're doing at Village Capital is the viral, the readiness, really helping not only to educate, but get entrepreneurs ready for what's expected. And then also, um, and I haven't brought this up in a while on the show, so I'm excited that I can, is to really help them grow their network and the ecosystem. And some of these women are starting to partner with each other. You know, you're starting to see a lot more co-founders um, working together, uh, black women, to build businesses. I think we had two on the um, Minted, for example, and, and they're a pipeline angel company. You know, they're building a business together. They were on that list, um, I think, in March uh, 2018. Vanity Fair did a picture and an article about the 26 black female founders who completed their $1 million, and Minted was part of that. 
So, you know, I think this is an opportunity for us, and as I really mentioned, really to talk about readiness, look at the numbers, and help drive women forward in the ecosystem. We're all going to have to play a part in that. Well, and, you know, I was just making a point that we shouldn't be harder on other on certain entrepreneurs other than other entrepreneurs. Um, and I think it's really important to note that diverse teams tend to do better, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we have data that shows, for example, that companies with female founders perform 66% better than those with all-male founders. And there's other kinds of... Um, statistics and studies that have done on been done on teams on diverse teams on you know performance and so on and so forth so it's also just flat good business to invest more broadly so you know we can look at that quote and say wow not only are you wrong and you're obviously you know consciously being very biased but also let's just kind of poke holes in the the logic of it um add somebody who's into data and numbers. Uh, let's talk for just a quick minute about the due diligence on the financial perspective. How are you supporting entrepreneurs to get ready for that kind of due diligence as well? Yeah, so um, entrepreneurs that go through our investment, our national investment readiness programs, um, we have dedicated investment analysts for each of the programs. And I basically go through the entrepreneur's business models um, and their financials and they help them to um, build out their assumptions or make sure their unit economics make sense um, and build out their projections over the next few years um, so that they're able to, even if they don't receive investment from Village Capital, that they're more prepared um, coming out of the program to be able to tell that financial story um, to other investors. As the director of U.S. Ventures for, for Village Capital and as a black woman, do you ever feel that you're in a position where you may have to give feedback to an entrepreneur that she may not get from another investor or another VC? Um, I try to be really candid with entrepreneurs because, like, nobody else is going to, number one, probably give you as much feedback, and it's definitely not going to be sugar-coated. So at least when it comes from me, you know it's coming from a place of love. Um, <laughs> but also, like... Not just telling you, I mean, I think what's really important about like the VC Pathways program and venture capital in general, like um, as I'm talking to entrepreneurs, it's not necessarily trying to push people into getting into venture capital. It's letting them know like where they are and like what it looks like if they want to build that type of business. Like somebody's taking equity in your company, you're not building a business that you're going to um kind of build a legacy on and pass this down to your kid this is something that you're building for the next five to ten years and you're selling it for a whole lot of money that's how you know everyone on the other side of the table is thinking about it so I try to just let people know like this is what you're being evaluated on this is kind of where you're um you need to be developed on and kind of give them the choice like and if this sounds like a route you don't want to take well let's talk about other alternatives mm -hmm. of of how you can build your business I know. I'm going to go back to your Vanity Fair mm -hmm. uh, comment, and I know the, the show is not about that, but <laughs> I do have to say this. Um, there was a lot of back and forth between myself and a few other people. How, you know, okay, it was exciting to see those women um, being highlighted and acknowledged for, you know, receiving funding. However, there were, what, 26? It was just 26, and it was to me, to us, at the same time, it was sad because there should have been a lot more. What were your thoughts when you saw that? I mean, I know they should; it should be celebrated, but at the same time, 
Um, did you feel conflicted about the number or? Um, I mean, I feel like in general, like um, minorities in tech is very like sensationalized in the media. And so it's almost like, look, there's 14. Mm-hmm. Now there's 16. <laughs> now there's 27. If you talk a lot of the women, talk to some of the women that, you know, were even featured in the magazine, they're like, okay, great. But now I'm getting back to the work yeah. and building the business. Right. And it's great to be in all these articles, but who's going to give me some money right. so that I can actually make this happen, you know? Exactly. And so. And we can't forget about the many, 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 many black women who have built business without VC funding, without yes. angel funding, mm-hmm. who have built it from the ground up, working with their customers, just building it that way. And that is that is the best way to do it. Absolutely. Like, I have a lot of people that come, like, how can I get money? How can I get money? And it's like, build a great business. Mm-hmm. Start getting some revenue, you know. Start making some sales, getting revenue, pouring that back in the bu- in the business, building your customer base. Once you have that kind of traction, then investors will come in. But it's harder to get people just to come in on ideas because, like, that's their actual money. You know, this money comes from somewhere, <laughs> and, and they're trying to get it back. And so they're trying to see that somebody else cares about this besides you. Um, and you're able to build this to be something that's really big. So just build it first. Yep. And then decide if you want to give any of it away because you exactly. don't have to. You, and don't you can have be to. very <laughs> discerning about who comes in and takes part of your empire. Right. And I think it's important to talk about it's not just about building a business and it's not just about making money, but it's about creating an infrastructure that really knows what to do with that, mm-hmm. how to treat that, and how to build on that. Because certainly I think a lot of us have seen businesses that from the outside look like they're profitable or look like they're going well. Mm -hmm. But if there's not enough of a cushion, if they don't know how to keep scaling that, if they don't know what they're doing with that, then I think part of what is so useful and um, really shines the light in the venture-backed space is that we're looking at all of those things really carefully. So for people who are building businesses that are not yet or may not ever want to be in the venture-backed space, we can Mm -hmm. use some tools in this space to learn how to build better businesses that can scale regardless of what we want, regardless of how we choose to scale or whose money we choose to use to scale, whether it's other people's or our own, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the beautiful thing now is we are seeing different uh, opportunities for on-ramping into investment, whether it's the VC, what, what Arlen's doing, what Village Capital is doing, what we're doing on the angel side. Uh, and then just more women taking that chance of starting a company and going with their vision. So I'm I'm really excited about that. Yeah, for sure. Well, we have enjoyed having you on the show. Um, is there anything else you would like to talk about um, while we're here together? Um, no, I don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like we've said a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, Make sure and tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you and how they can also get a hold of this tool that you've been sharing with entrepreneurs and maybe even learn more about Village Capital and the programs that you're running. Sure. So um, our website is villcap.com. As far as in the U.S., in the next month, if there are any fintech entrepreneurs, we'll be opening applications. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at Pope, not Olivia. Um, (laughs) Although you are a fixer. (laughs) I'm so bad at Twitter. I'm not really on there that much. I'm trying. Um, Or you can email me. My email address is ebony.pope at philcap.com. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. 
So today we've been talking about opening the door. It's about damn time. <laughs> and particularly focusing on Arlen Hamilton's announcement that Backstage Capital is going to be doing funding and giving investments specifically for black women founders. And so we're here today with black woman VC, Ebony Pope, to talk about Village Capital, what she sees um, how she's supporting entrepreneurs that are underrepresented and particularly kind of some of the things you've learned in that space um, with regard to tools that you're offering and so forth. Um, and also that, you know, village, uh, that venture capital generally can be giving away other people's money, but in a sustainable way, right? I mean, obviously if it's an investment, we get it back, we can reinvest and continue to build on that. Yes, we want it back. We want it back. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've talked a little bit about VCs that might be doing impact investing and particularly about dem democratizing entrepreneurship. Uh, Village Capital is obviously doing some really interesting things in specifically looking at entrepreneurs outside of the you know, traditional spaces and outside of the places that people generally get funding. Um, it was good also to talk about entrepreneur networks. How do we find out about programs that are out there for entrepreneurs? And then how do we find out um, from the entrepreneur side also what our options are? Venture-backed um, building of businesses is not always the way we want to go. We've talked about that on other shows as well. But that there is ways, there are, there are um, opportunities to build that might be uh, hopefully less biased than the VC space has been historically. We talked about the viral process, knowing where you are in due diligence, and also in addition to really knowing your numbers, also thinking about the other pieces of where your company is in its stage of growth, and that we know that we need to be looking at numbers and really looking at it from um, an objective space and really giving people the true vision into what's going on. And so we've also quoted several different studies today, which I think is important because part of what these studies are doing, including Project Diane and other studies, is showing what's going on so that we can always improve, right? So thank you for joining us today on our show. You can find us at getfoundgetfunded.com. You can certainly uh, follow us on social media and don't miss an episode.